The Diplomacy Dojo is a weekly discussion led by your board brother about diplomacy tactics and strategies. Let's listen in on what our players are discussing this week. Tips for the Toby Harris England Russia opening. Alternative openings for an English Russia alliance. Okay. Other other topics we can take inventory of at the outset. So if I'm in a juggernaut, is it better for me to help Russia make progress against Germany to more likely solo? Okay. That's fascinating topic point. I think taking these in order is pretty good. Uh, tips for the Toby Harris English-Russia opening. So these come from two different perspectives. To talk about at the outset, the Toby Harris opening is, a, is an opening that's been published online that describes England and Russia baiting Germany into moving into Sweden in 1801. Meanwhile, England moves into Denmark and Russia and England otherwise get into position to crush Germany in 1902. And if you can pull it off, most people think, at least in our group, that this is a pretty effective opening. But this question has to do with uh, you know, actually actually making it happen. When you're asking for tips, what we're, we're assuming that England and Russia are, are trying to actually make this opening happen, right? And this is more tips about how England and Russia should, should, should act externally. I guess, I guess tips to make it go as planned. So for example, so for example, one question I was asking, you know, like what should, like how, what does Russia say to make Austria agree to the ZDMZ? Okay. So that's, that's a generally, that's a generally useful situation. You're talking about the, um, neither Austria nor Russia open to Galicia in spring 1901, right? Yeah. I feel like the Austria player was pretty hostile, actually. I actually suspect that they actually trusted Russia not to move into Galicia because they, they had Serbia support Galicia into Romania after that. Mm-hmm. So Russia got, so, so Turkey had Bulgaria support. So the thing is, I mean, I think Turkey, uh, I mean, Turkey told me that, you know, Austria was offering to support them into Romania, but I think Turkey realized Austria was just trying to trick him. Talk about the situation generally. I consider the opening to Galicia to be uh, a prisoner's dilemma situation because both players serve to be advantaged tactically if they can get into Galicia in 1901. That's why in a, a gunboat diplomacy game, almost, I'm not saying invariably, but like more than 70% of the time, maybe verging into 80 or 90% of the time, you're going to see both Austria and Russia open to Galicia and bounce on their openings. In a press game, it is possible to create a sense of trust. I think that there are a couple things that have to go right from the Russian perspective. One is if Austria believes that Russia will be an ally, a lot of strategic options are open for Austria. That makes it possible for Austria to attack Italy early on, maybe build another fleet early on, possibly go after German home centers early on. Those are all immensely valuable strategic prospects for Austria who otherwise um, – could maybe progress in the Balkans or even get progress against Russia and not necessarily accomplish anything after that or even get blown away. From from my point of view as the Austrian, let's just say I'm the Austrian, if I, if I believe that the Russian is really interested in alliance with me, that's maybe worth taking a, a risk on leaving Galicia open in spring 1901. 
But in terms of the immediate advantage, there's not that much because what Austria is probably going to do is move Vienna to Budapest in spring 1901 if they're not moving that way. And that doesn't really help Austria that much. So, so in my opinion, if you're the Russian and you want to persuade the Austrian that you should both – neither of you open to Galicia, then you probably uh, want to focus on the long-term prospects that you both serve to gain if you can work together in an alliance. So should Russia just come out and tell Austria, hey, Austria, I, I want to do a northern opening. You know, I'm going to leave you alone to do what you want. Maybe I can help you with Turkey. I am suggesting advice uh, to the contrary, to begin with creating in the Austrian's mind a, a idea that you are open to a serious and long-term Austria-Russia alliance in which you help Austria take on every foe, Germany, Italy, and Turkey together. And that if you start from that possibility and saying like, Can, is this going to work? Are you open to this? And the Austrian says, yes, you know that I, I think I want to do that. Then say, okay, well, let's start off that with as powerful a tactical opening as we can. Let's leave Galicia open. What do you say? The player may want to do it. They may think, hmm, this, this is, this is the, the alliance for me. And if they say no, at least they they're probably are being honest with you and still want your alliance. <laughs> they say, no, nah, let's just bounce. And, and that's fine too. But I think if you start off by just flat out telling the Austrian early on that you're not moving to Galicia or you don't want to move there, then that gives them a lot of flexibility to be like, okay, well, I know for a fact that Russia's not moving there. Maybe I want to honor that DMZ, but maybe not. Maybe I want to take advantage of it. In my personal experience, directly stating what all your opening moves will be early in spring 1901 is disadvantageous because the other players can start planning and making deals based around that. For example, in one of my semifinals matches in the ODC 2019, I was Germany. I ended up doing really well that game. And one of the things that uh, I think the English player made a mistake was by declaring immediately that he was going to make the northern opening, including to Edinburgh moving the, the army to Edinburgh. And that meant that, okay, I know that's a fact. Great. Well, I know that I'm, I'm going to let Russia into Sweden then. So I turned around and said, in my opening message to Russia, you get Sweden. It's yours. I just love Russia. I just love you, man. You're, it's, it, I ended up getting a good relationship with that player. I talked the French player into opening to English Channel to do a sea lion. And by the way, we did that sea lion and blew England out of the water. Whereas, if even if England's mind had been made up from the beginning... If England had toyed with me and toyed with me about making different openings, I wouldn't have had so much leverage in my conversations with France and Russia because I wouldn't have had certainty about what England was going to do. So I have a lesson that I think applies to this situation, which is that directly stating early on in spring 1901 as Russia what your moves will be to your neighbors allows them to scheme and plot on ways to take advantage of it, whereas if you just talk about strategically, hey, Austria, I think we can make an alliance, and then towards the end of the turn say, well, if we're going to be allies, what do you say about a DMZ in Galicia? And then they say, oh, maybe, and then maybe they say, okay, that makes sense to me. That seems like a good way to begin our alliance. I think that is, there's a much higher chance that the Austrian honors the DMZ that was agreed to late in the turn than one that you just informed them about immediately. Does that make sense? 
Maybe that's what I've been doing wrong. Oh, talking about it too early. Too early. <laughs> it could be true. I, I, I honestly, I don't really entirely blame Austria because whenever I play Austria, I usually just say, "Nah, I want to bounce." From Austria's perspective, I think the danger is a little bit bigger if Russia violates the, the DMZ. Because if Russia goes to Galicia in combination with an Italian attack, you're probably dead. And uh, that is not a fun way to begin a game. So um, it's, I, that's my tip on how to negotiate that DMZ as Russia. Um, as far as England and trying to find a way to encourage Austria to focus against another opponent, I don't think there's much England can do in this regard. Honestly, like it, you'd have to play it by year or something really like game specific. Most Austrian players are not going to give away their openings unless they really have to, and they're not going to, they're probably not likely to tell England what opening they're going to make. You could uh, indirectly influence the match this way. England does have some ability to influence Italy to come west. That's not out of the question. If you use that influence and Austria becomes aware of it, Austria feels like, yeah, I think Italy's going to go west. That can, uh, put, that can potentially mean that Austria will feel uh, that maybe, okay, I don't have to fight Russia. I could go after Italy when Italy's got its defenses down. But that can also backfire because if Austria is convinced that Italy's going west, that may make Austria think that mm, Italy's a decent ally for me. So even with that small amount of influence, it, it would still be really game-specific how you think it's going to affect that particular Austrian player. Uh, another thing that you probably want to talk about for getting this opening to happen is you got to Germany, England and Russia want Germany to move to open uh, Kiel to Denmark and then Denmark to Sweden, and probably anticipating a bounce with Russia. For England, I think that there is a, a negotiating chip that I find tried and true, which is to say, Germany, if I open to English Channel, will you promise to bounce Russia and Sweden? Many German players will agree to this. It's a reasonable bargaining chip, I think, especially since Germany doesn't have to um, deliver until after they've seen that you really do mean business. And I believe that's consistent with the Toby Harris opening, right? And that opening doesn't England open to English Channel? Yes. Okay. So I think that's a way to make that happen. So now it's not so much up to the Russian as the German saying, okay, the English player really wants me to bounce in Sweden, and the Russian player can make Germany feel okay about this by saying, well, yeah, no, that's not really what I wanted to hear, but uh, it's better than nothing, and so, uh, yeah, that's fine. At least you're telling me in advance I appreciate it. I will bounce you in Sweden and then move to Baltic Sea. That's that's how I would play that situation generically. Anybody else have thoughts on that? Well, one thing going to the channel accomplishes for England, too, is to get a shot at Belgium. Because Den the convoy to Denmark is not guaranteed. Like, when I was playing Germany and Russia opened to Silesia, I knew all about the Toby Harrison. So I painfully just held in Denmark. And it was the right move? 
Russia went. No, Russia went to Sweden. Oh shoot! <laughs> right. Did they, take, did they take Munich or Berlin? Or Berlin? No. No, I think I guessed right on that 50-50. Mm. And so I eventually defeated in Russia in that game in Germany. Yeah, I had all three of them after me for a while, but I, I eventually won someone over and then uh, survived and did fairly well. But just, it just goes to show that I think you have to go to the channel if you're going to try that because, you know, you don't know you're getting into Denmark depending on who's playing Germany. That's a fair point. So I'm going to say that we covered this topic, and let's move on to the next one, which is alternative openings for an England-Russia alliance. Based on the question, it sounds like this is an England-Russia alliance that has been agreed to in spring 1901. I, I assume so. Or may, I mean, how about we discuss ones that are agreed in 1901 or maybe later? Okay. So... All right, let's yeah, let's bifurcate that topic. Uh, I'll, I'll I'll call that one the first one alternative openings openings for an England Russia alliance, and then let's talk about um, separately forming England Russia alliance after a few terms. Okay, so the alternative openings. Anybody have one they want to bring up? So maybe Russia just goes south to Austria and then attacks Germany later, but is that? That's not, I don't know if that's much of an opening, though, for an England-Russia alliance. I mean, another. so what if, what if Russia sends Mo so what if Russia moves to Silesia but sends Moscow south to Ukraine? All right, so is this, this would be in a, an arrangement where England and Russia have agreed to attack Germany early? Yeah. Hmm. I can't see myself ever agreeing to that as Russia. To be honest, I see. So it's not a good opening for from the from the Russian perspective. Germany is not in immediate danger because Germany has to contend with France and England over the the Low Countries, or possibly in Scan might fight England in, in Scan. I mean Germany for Scandinavia, but yeah. it's not going to be until usually it's 1903 or later that Germany would actually start coming across the middle. And attack Russia, and so with that in with that in mind, it's usually it's just not a priority as Russia to be fighting Germany early. And let me add this in as well: even if you get a German center, it's not necessarily keepable. You you've massacred Germany, but now England and France are going to get like two two to three centers each, and maybe you'll get to keep your one. That's not that's not a great strategic outcome. And most high level games. Yes, Pardon? I mean, maybe getting, I mean, maybe being able to get an army in Norway is kind of worth some kind of risk, though. So I, I, when I, I mean, the northern opening you, that I play as Russia on occasion is Warsaw to Ukraine and Moscow to Saint Petersburg, with the idea of using Ukraine and the fleet at probably I bounced in Black Sea at Sevastopol to make a supportive move on Romania, and then usually hoping to get my fleet in into Sweden. And most likely not necessarily moving the army at St. Petersburg to Norway because most English players are not tolerating that. They're going to stop it somehow is to move it to Finland with the idea of building a fleet in St. Petersburg north coast subsequently and making a big support attack on Norway. If I'm opening north, that's usually my plan as Russia. 
That doesn't the, sound like an English-Russian alliance, though. No, it doesn't. Um, and that uh, I, I should I should clarify something. The main reason why attacking Germany in spring 1901 is a hazard for Russia is there is no way in hell Germany is letting you have Sweden. And that's it's a lot easier to get Germany to let you have Sweden than to take one of Germany's home centers. So sorry, yeah, that opening I'm describing is not is not a Russia England alliance. The main thing that makes an England Russia alliance possible is for Russia to halt and in any advance past Scandinavia and for England to tolerate Russian control of Scandinavia. So if you've got an English player who thinks the way I play England is I get control of Scandinavia first and then I then I pivot from there. That is not going to be a good English – that's just not going to happen. It's not going to be a good English-Russia alliance in the beginning, maybe later, but not in the beginning. And similarly, if you've got a Russian player who views their way of playing in Scandinavia as like trying to get fleets set up, it's not going to happen. It's not going to be an English-Russia alliance. So usually what you're trying to – create is a situation where Russia captures Norway with an army and then perhaps subsequently moves on elsewhere. That's where the, the Toby Harris opening is trying to construct this scenario in a way that maximizes the likelihood that that will come true. But you don't necessarily have to, say, attack Germany at Silesia right off the bat in order to create the scenario that I'm talking about. What Russia wants to see from England is that England doesn't convoy into Norway. Beginning by convoying into Norway really puts a lot of pressure on England, like tactically, to fight for Scandinavia. An army in Norway can move into Finland, and having an army in Finland is huge for conquering that whole area because only an army in Finland can make attacks or support attacks on Sweden, Norway, and St. Petersburg. And that's usually the beginning of an English conquest of that whole area. So if England doesn't convoy to Norway, I don't care what else that army did, just somehow did something else, the ability of England to press an attack on Scandinavia is a lot more limited. And so it keeps it perhaps more realistic that this is going to, that there can be an alliance between the two powers. For example, England could take Norway and let's say somehow Russia gets into Sweden the follow-up moves could be for England to move from Norway to Skagerrak, perhaps with Russian support or perhaps Russia moving elsewhere. And uh, you can start setting up you know, for attacks on Germany subsequently. I see. So so maybe England takes Norway with a fleet, Russia takes Sweden with a fleet, and then they attack Germany from the north? That's right. And there's going to have to be a turn of a little trust where Russia trusts England not to move Norway to St. Petersburg and England trusts Russia not to just go for Norway. And that's an opening you can you can sort of ease your way into to subsequently, you know, okay, we've we've shown a little bit of trust. Let's let's see if we can be better allies. You can pivot from England having convoyed into Norway, but England really needs to convoy that army somewhere else in nineteen oh two. Or it's just not credible. Like even if England means business as Russia, I would just find it impossible to trust an England who insists on keeping a, an army presence in Scandinavia. All right. So maybe England should get Norway. Maybe maybe one build could work also. I mean one build could be fine. So England takes Norway and then just attacks Germany from the south with Russia. Usually as, as long as, as Russia agrees not to build any northern fleet – and honors that agreement, I think as England, 
you really should... It's a big advantage to you to leave Russia well enough alone. Because Russia is not a big menace in the, in the, to you at, in general. And if Russia doesn't build another fleet, who cares? You guys, France and Germany are a way bigger threat than a Russia who's not building a fleet. That, that's why I think a typical way for this to play out is for Russia to have gained Norway. Because if Russia ha has gained Norway and Russia's fleet only has the one starting fleet or no fleets at all, maybe it got disbanded somehow – then that gives England and Russia a stable border area where they don't have much ability to stab each other. That's what the Toby Harris opening is trying to engineer as fast as possible. So uh, maybe another way of thinking about it is trying to create a stable situation in Scandinavia where you can both walk away is what you want to achieve with an England-Russia alliance. Uh, to going going into the next question of forming the England-Russia alliance after a few turns, I want to throw this out there. If um, Russia's northern presence has been diminished or, or obliterated, maybe Russia has lost all northern units and St. Petersburg, that kind of converts England and Russia into natural allies at that point because uh, Russia no longer has prospects for gaining really any of the centers that England hopes to gain. And you'll see that sometimes in matches where England wipes out St. Petersburg in 1902, and then subsequently Russia and England are kind of working together. So if you're in that situation where you're on the back foot as Russia, find any way to get England to capture St. Petersburg with a fleet so that England cannot subsequently make more attacks on your home centers. Find a way to make peace there. Uh, Maybe a, a better, uh, even better scenario would be to take your starting fleet and park it in St. Petersburg. Just bring it back to St. Petersburg and say, okay, I'm done. I'm not doing nothing. Leave me alone. Look, I'll even help you if you can just leave Norway. If you've parked your fleet at St. Petersburg South Coast and England leaves Norway, you, you can no longer attack each other. Maybe you could start working together at that point. If you can keep St. Petersburg alive as long as possible and you eventually somehow, some way get a build – then uh, you can build something in St. Petersburg and maybe fight England another day. In press diplomacy, I think it's a lot more common to see an England who goes all out in trying to take out St. Petersburg in 1902. There are players in gunboat diplomacy who, having seen this opening be successful in press, think it's a good idea in gunboat. But there's a big difference which is that in press diplomacy, you can use negotiation and a lot of other things to keep your flank secure while you concentrate on the one thing. In Gunboat, France is just going to attack you <laughs> if you do that. But in press, that can be a pretty effective opening. And so the, the, the press metagame also elevates the, the power of Russia relative to Gunboat. That sounds weird. I'm starting from the, I'm using the variant as my starting point. All the powers are equally balanced, roughly, in regular diplomacy, and so Russia is is fairly seen by England as an equal threat to France and Germany, and so uh, overcoming that perception somehow is usually the critical thing to getting that alliance going. Most Russian players would happily ally England. It's just a question of getting the English player on board, in my experience. Okay. Let's go to this next topic. In a juggernaut, should Turkey help Russia make progress versus Germany? So uh, I have some thoughts on this, but 
Uh, someone else, any got anything to say? From my point of view, I mean, most of my solos uh, as Turkey, either I got Italy and Russia to attack Austria, and then Austria just kind of, you know, just became my ally and pretty much did whatever I want because they became hopeless. Yeah, so that that worked. That, that's pretty effective. I mean, that usually worked. Uh, I think I sold it every time that happened. But when I won with a juggernaut, usually what happens is, you know, there's an England-German alliance. You know, Russia's kind of getting hit hard by them. But then, you know... After I've taken a center like Marseille, you know, I'm, I tell anyone, hey, England, yeah, let's let's go after Germany now. It's time. The last game, the English player wasn't foolish enough to do this, but twice in two games, they were willing to do that. So then I was able to solo. That makes sense to me. But, but the thing is, if the English player, you know, is smart enough not to do that, so should Russia have already made progress towards Germany or something? So I do think that it is, it is advisable to see how far you can get your Russian ally when you're Turkey as a juggernaut, and I'll explain a couple reasons why. One is that many allies will insist on some kind of balance of power so that if you're making expansions, if you're, if you're making conquests and your ally is not, they will try to in, try to get centers from you, and I think, this is a, I think this is a reasonable position. They'll say, hey, you know, maybe I should be the one to have Trieste or something because I'm not really making gains elsewhere. And that's that's fair. And therefore, if your Russian ally is making gains in the north, then you have uh, the reverse bargaining position, which is, hey, you're making gains in the north, so really I should be the one to get Trieste. Maybe you should give me Budapest, that kind of thing, which can get you closer to being able to stab the Russian player later if necessary. The next is that the further the Russian player extends into the north, uh, especially if they're sending their new builds there or they, they extend really far and get stuck without making a capture, that lowers their, the Russian player's defenses for your eventual backstab. You don't care if Russia's got Munich, Berlin, Kiel, Denmark, Norway, Sweden, or whatever, Edinburgh. If at that t- around that time, you've just gutted Russia, you've taken Sevastopol, you're surely going to get Moscow and Warsaw. Pff, you know, it doesn't matter that Russia made it that far. Because there's Russia's situation is now hopeless. They're not going to be able to get builds or defend against your attack, etc. Another reason is that if the situation stabilizes and the players are trying to form a stalemate line, it could be very difficult for them to do so against you if they're dealing with a Russian player who got kind of far into the, into the west or the north. Because it might mean that they have angered those players who might not want to cooperate with the Russian. It might mean that the players are really out of position for forming a stalemate line because they've been fighting each other. Those are all advantages in helping you get a solo win as Turkey. So you think it's beneficial for Turkey if Russia does make some progress against Germany moving west and north? There are advantages to it. It's not necessarily always the best play, but it can be a good one. I mean, I sort of feel that way, though, because if, you know, if the last, like, so if the only four powers still alive are, you know, England, Germany, Russia, and Turkey, I, I sort of feel like, you know, if I'm going to take the other centers, I mean, I mean, maybe I could just go for them. The German centers? Maybe Germany would help me. I don't know. Uh, tell, tell me more what you're thinking. I don't know. Maybe it's not necessary. I mean, maybe, maybe if England and Germany aren't fighting each other, I could still just grab the centers anyway. That's possible to get the Russian centers you're saying? Yeah. You have to play pretty well, I think, because if England and Germany are cooperating, they should have some ability 
to put either Warsaw or Moscow or both behind a stalemate line, especially if Russia prioritizes that defense. Uh, but if you're if you're in a match that's based on draw size scoring, also called Calhammer points, uh, it could be a good strategy to to just to get to a three way draw. Okay, I feel like we covered this topic. If you enjoyed this episode, remember to subscribe and review the podcast. To learn more from your board brother and to participate in the dojo, visit the blog at brotherboard.com or the Patreon at bit.ly slash supportYBB. Thanks to Loyalty Freak Music for the theme music, It Feels Good to Be Alive too. 